Cities occupy about 3% of the planet's surface, but with about 55% of the world's population living in them. 70% of all greenhouse gas emissions come from these urban areas, consuming two-thirds of the world's energy. And as many countries continue to spend resources on urban development, the climate crisis is deepening. As summers get hotter, more energy is needed for cooling. And as winters get colder, more energy is required for heating. The more energy is wasted, the more power outages we will face. And the more we destroy nature, the more it will destroy what humankind has made. Is there a way to end this vicious cycle? A network of city mayors came together to deliver urgently needed actions to confront the climate crisis. The group was founded in 2005 and was first called C20. But a year later, 22 more mayors were invited to join, ensuring balance from the Global South and creating the network we know today as C40. Though the C40 is formed by nearly 100 world-leading cities and represents more than 580 million people and around one-fifth of the global economy. The group is chaired by the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. Mayor Khan and his C40 counterparts recently met in Buenos Aires. There's no good reason why the international community can't keep the promise of 1.5 degrees to be alive. And yet, this crucial target hangs in the balance because for all the progress our cities are making too many national governments are still dragging their feet will the city mayors be able to change the course of the climate crisis something country leaders seem to be failing at the mayor of london and chair of the c40 sadiq khan talks to al jazeera Mayor Khan, thank you so much for talking to Al Jazeera. You're here in Buenos Aires discussing with other mayors about how to mitigate the impact of global warming, climate change. Could you tell us a bit about what the C40 is all about and how it was formed? Well, the, the C40 is almost 100 uh, mayors of the bigger cities in the world. Think of London, Los Angeles, Dhaka, uh, Delhi. Uh, Paris, Barcelona, Bogota, uh, Buenos Aires and so forth and we represent roughly speaking 700 million people uh, and almost half of the GDP of the world and the C40 which I'm privileged to chair and lead is mayors who are doing things to tackle the climate emergency, to tackle climate change, air pollution and uh, so forth because we recognize more than 70% of carbon emissions come from cities more and more people are moving to uh, cities and our frustration has been is national governments, many of them originally you know, denied there was a problem, uh, now most of the governments are delaying the problem whereas mayors are doing things to address these issues and this summit taking place in Buenos Aires is the biggest ever gathering of mayors in history uh, and we're meeting as the C40 uh, World Mayors Summit to discuss policies to address these issues so uh, we've announced that between now and 2030, the C40 cities will be helping to create 50 million good green jobs by 2030. We'll be announcing more than a billion dollars worth of um, uh, support to Global South cities because I recognise and we recognise that the Global South 
countries, cities and peoples are least responsible for where we are now, but suffer the greatest consequences. When, when you think about the world today, cities occupy around 3% of the planet, but then around 55% of the populations live in them. I mean, if you had to think, which, which are the biggest challenges for cities to become greener? Well, the reality is, uh, you know, more than half the population lives in cities, and that's going up. So the UN estimates in 10 years' time, 55% uh, will become 60%, become 70%. So that's the reality, greater urbanization. Now, that's a, a, a problem. But it's also an opportunity because if we're more dense, we can reduce our carbon footprint. If we change our cities so people can walk around, cycle around, use public transport rather than ride on the cars, uh, that helps. If we can use this as, a, as an opportunity to build electric buses, electric taxis, more metros and subways, it's an opportunity because people aren't traveling long distance by uh, car. Similarly, it means we can create better jobs uh, which can rely upon renewable energies rather than fossil fuels. So, uh, of course, it's a challenge. More people move into a city if there's not proper preparation of planning. So we need decent housing in all our cities, affordable housing in all our cities. We need to train up the workforce to have uh, the skills for the jobs being created. We need to make sure there's support for families and businesses in our cities. And you know what? Mayors on the C40 network are showing how it's possible to do these issues from, you know, Accra, uh, to you know, Delhi from you know, Los Angeles to uh, Paris, showing that we're doing things to address these issues. When you think about the problems that many of the cities you're mentioning in um, and the challenges they face, I mean, what are the most serious situations that you, you have encountered, that you have seen? Well, the biggest issue is taking people with you. And what you don't want to do is you know, go so fast in relation to uh, reliance on fossil fuels or you know some of the older jobs uh, that are not sensible for the 21st century and people then uh, react to that in a negative way and that's why you're going to, you're going to have a, what we call a just transition so you've got to support people to move from you know uh, things that were carbon intensive to things that are less carbon intensive so for example if somebody's worried about losing a job in manufacturing uh, vehicles which rely upon an internal combustion engine for understandable reasons, they're losing their livelihoods, right? You've got to skill them up and train them up to have jobs which they can go to. Who's going to build the electric buses, the electric taxis, the e-bikes, the bicycles? Who's going to insulate our homes, put the, uh, you know, the, the glazing in? Who's going to have, you know, work out the electric vehicle charging points? Who's going to um, you know, build the, the turbines for wind and uh, the panels for solar? So there's an opportunity arising from this transition. And the biggest challenge is to make sure that transition is just. Because you know, if, if you go too quick without the just transition, people will react in a negative way. And I think what mayors are showing the national leaders, the presidents, the prime ministers, who will be meeting in Sharm el-Sheikh uh, in just a couple of weeks' time, is that it is possible to take people with you. It is possible to have uh, policies that can transform our societies for the better. When you talk about greener cities and, and the challenges of, of, of climate change, and, and you also have you know, lack of jobs and economic problems and all of these pressing issues, I mean, how do you, in a way, privilege what is immediate economic need to you know, long sustainability goals? I mean, how, how do you find that balance? Uh, and that's the most profound question. Yeah. Uh, we know families, uh, businesses across the globe are worried about the cost of living crisis, higher energy bills, uh, inflation, interest rates, and uh, so forth across the globe, right? But actually, the cause of many of those things 
is our reliance on fossil fuels. So I'll give you an example. Many in Europe have seen a massive increase in their gas prices because of uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, uh, an increase in energy prices because of what's happened in the, the Middle East, and a reliance on those uh, you know, fuels from the Middle East and from Putin, right? So energy uh, bills have gone up. But actually, if we were to build solar uh, panels, have wind turbines, have the hydrogen facilities, firstly, we'd be energy secure, uh, so the bills wouldn't go up but also they'd be sustainable and uh, uh, green. Big issue for the cost of living crisis in the UK is people's energy bills are going up, right? Uh, uh, but actually, the way to address that is not simply by energy secure, sustainable fuels, but insulate our homes. Build homes that are you know, zero carbon and so forth, but that can also create jobs. What we could be doing is training up those who've lost their jobs in the older industries uh, uh, to, to be the insulators, to be the people that fit the electric vehicle charging points, to be the people that build the buses, that be the people that you know have the grid uh, changed and so forth. So we can address the cost of living crisis, uh, issues around uh, instability, uh, by actually dealing with the climate change. So actually it's a solution to the problems we face. It's not, my worry is that leaders are, you know, they think they've got a green pass. They, they blame Putin and Ukraine, they blame the cost of living crisis. They say, you know, we can't do anything, right? So let's delay taking action till later on. Or they set targets that will materialise once they've stopped being the Prime Minister, or once they've stopped being the President, 2050, 2065, 2040. Mayors, though, are doing things now. So our targets, uh, you know, are for 2030. But also, more than 75% of mayors are going faster than the national governments because we have to reapply for our jobs every four years and we're taking people with us. When, what we're seeing right now and because of the war in Ukraine is leaders around the world increasing you know, oil exploitation and gas, you know, it's, it's the desperate measures you know, to, to deal with a problem that's happening right now. How difficult is it to promote this green agenda, this, this future of considering and mitigating global warming in a situation like this one? I mean, are you encountering lots of backlash in a way. Look, this summer in London, uh, we experienced temperatures of 40 degrees Celsius. Never in the history of our country have we had those. The 12 hottest days or periods in the history of my country has been since 2003. We also experienced flash flooding. You look across Europe, there's been, uh, you know, wildfires, uh, heat waves. Look at China, the hottest summer they've ever had. Look in Pakistan, 33 million people displaced because of the uh, floods, which, which came after record uh, temperatures. So look, people experience climate change. There is now very, very few people who are climate change uh, deniers. And we've got to explain to people, politicians have got to become teachers, these are the consequences of climate change and not, you know, succumb to the temptation of a quick fix, an easy hit of, you know, gas and uh, petrol, because that way lies doom. The cost, the cost of inaction relying upon fossil fuels uh, going forward uh, you know, it is far greater than the cost of action in relation to transitioning to renewable energies. And you know what? Those of us who are progressives need people with us. We need people power to support us that in those democracies around the globe, vote out those that want to, you know, explore fracking, accelerate uh, gas exploration, accelerate oil production, and actually say, why aren't we invested in, uh, you know, wind? Why aren't we invested in solar? Why aren't we invested in hydrogen, invested in uh, nuclear, diversifying our energy supply, but also thinking about our cities and our environment. Why is there a need for people to drive 
to the centre of our cities to go to uh, work. Why people travelling two hours to get to decent uh, leisure? So in London, uh, we're trying to encourage more people to walk and cycle and use public transport. We have uh, the largest number of electric buses of any city in the Western world, uh, and we're trying to take people with us. And I think it's really important that we you know, resist the temptation uh, for greater reliance on fossil fuels. You were mentioning about developed nations helping or assisting developing nations because I'm sure there's different priorities definitely what's happening in London or what's happening in cities like Buenos Aires where we are right now so you know how do you find that balance and what type of help you know we're mentioning about you know a fund to assist other cities could you tell us a bit more about what well, the, this the, is about the first thing is look th those those least responsible for climate change those least responsible for causing the climate crisis are suffering the worst consequences of this. You speak to somebody in Bangladesh in the coastal town with water rising, or speak to somebody in Pakistan suffering from flooding, or speak to somebody in uh, you know, uh, Bogota in relation to the, the air quality and uh, so forth. They didn't, they didn't cause climate change, right? Uh, they're suffering the worst consequences. So there's, there's a moral argument. But secondly, it's all linked, right? So, so we in the global north can't escape the consequences of climate change anymore. But also, you know, uh, toxic air, climate change, extreme weather, doesn't respect national boundaries. And this is a good example of, of the need for multilateralism working together. So for example, if you're in the global north and you're worried about immigration, you've got to understand one of the reasons why people are migrating is climate displacement. In Dhaka, they uh, receive uh, 2,000 people every day who come from the coastal towns because their homes are being uh, flooded. Similarly, in the global north, People may complain about immigration. Well, actually, the reason people are coming is their homes have been flooded or there's drought in there. So if you worry about that, all right, the way to help address the issue is at source, deal with climate change. If you're worried about temperatures that are causing wildfires uh, in the global north, you're not going to solve that uh, by just having policies in the global north. You can't build a wall around this. You've got to tackle climate change at source and the consequences uh, as well. But also, it's a virtuous circle. And so we've got to understand that actually it's in our interest in the global north to support the global south because it means they'll become uh, you know, uh, better economies, uh, they'll have less uh, consequences of uh, climate change, drought, uh, you know, other issues that flow from that. But also it will lead to the ability in the future to work closer together. So this idea that you know, we're not going to help the global south because it's their problem or I'm not going to cycle because there's no point if China's got these you know, uh, coal-powered factories or I'm not going to bother recycling because in India uh, they're doing uh, things that aren't conducive to addressing climate change is not right. We've got to take personal responsibility as individuals and our families and our businesses, so show moral leadership, but also rec recognise the global south, the, the, what you call the, the developing world, can't do it by themselves. They need our support. They need our support in relation to the $100 billion promised by previous COPs, that's finally got to be delivered, but also in relation to loss and damage, adaptation, resilience and so forth. There is no point making your city in the global south, uh, in the global north, your country in the global uh, north, uh, you know, this uh, utopian city or country because climate change, climate change does, doesn't respect these national boundaries. You've got to help others as well. I, I listen to you and you have like so much passion about this issue. It, it shows how committed you are. But when you look at it around the world, I mean, do you think the world is heading that way? Do you see that national governments around the world are as interested as you are? My point to people watching this is don't judge all politicians the same. I think mayors 
are very different from prime ministers and presidents. I think cities are very different from uh, governments. If we were speaking 15 years ago, we'd be speaking about climate change deniers. Now we don't talk about climate change deniers because they've turned into climate change delayers. They're delaying action. Uh, and so whereas they are the delayers, mayors and cities are the doers. And so this week in Buenos Aires, at the biggest gathering of mayors and cities ever, we've announced policies to create good green jobs. We've announced policies to give financial support to the Global South significant amounts of money. We've got the private sector working closely with us. We've got the development banks working closely with us. But here's the problem. When COP27 happens at Sharm el Sheikh, uh, you won't see mayors around the table. It's the conference of the parties, and the parties are national uh, governments, who we know, if you, look at, if you look at all the countries around the world, how many countries are meeting the Paris Accord in relation to reductions? Only one. You look at the mayors around the world, uh, more than two-thirds of mayors are on course to meet the Paris, Paris uh, Declaration. And so, you know, I think what's really important is for national governments to see mayors and cities as allies, not adversaries, but also for the UN to get cities and mayors around the table because we can show you, you can do it and that where we lead, hopefully, the national governments will follow. When we, when we look at Europe um, and we see so many political parties making it to power that are climate change deniers in a way, we see conservative forces, extreme right forces, basically saying that climate change doesn't exist, that it's an invention. What's your approach to that? I mean, how do you deal with those people? Well, the, the, what's happened is interesting. So, so those people who are denying climate change have morphed into saying, we can't do something now, let's wait, let's just do it later on, rely upon innovation, rely upon technology. Because so, they've recognised, you know, 99.5% of scientists, you know, are irrefutable, there is climate change. But also, we're experiencing it, right? With the wildfires, the grass fires, uh, you know, heat waves, extreme temperature, and so forth. So you can't escape your experience, but also what the scientists are saying. So I think there are three groups of people. There is the climate change deniers, a very small column. There is the uh, people who are doing things to address climate change, a bigger column. But the vast majority in the middle who aren't really decided, aren't really persuaded. And politicians have got to turn into teachers, uh, work with the scientists and the experts to explain to the vast majority of people in the middle, climate change is happening. Uh, the air is toxic. Uh, there are things we can do to solve it if we take action uh, now, take people with us. But we should be optimistic because look at the, the, the major cities across Europe, you know, London, Paris, Barcelona, Amsterdam, uh, you know, um, uh, look in the Italy, Rome uh, are here, of course. And look what's happening with Warsaw. The, the mayor of Warsaw is here, you know, Raphael. So we're showing leadership being progressive across uh, Europe, Athens uh, as well. And so whereas the national governments may be uh, delaying issues, my own government in the UK, right? They, they were talking about uh, re reintroducing fracking. They're talking about increasing ex exploration on the North Sea oil. Policies that are very, very dangerous. Um, and so, you know, it's really important that, that we try and persuade our national governments to move with us, but our citizens work with us and help us be allies to persuade our governments to change course. As you were mentioning in the UK, um, you know, policies of the current government, current administration, it's this pressing issues that we're seeing right now of them trying to satisfy the population, providing solutions that in the end may end up harming them. I mean, how do you work towards national legislation? Are you also involved in that, in trying to pass legislation that could eventually block what 
you know, national governments are trying to do? Well, here's the good news. Uh, so in the UK, there was a, a, a vote the government introduced, was trying to introduce in relation to fracking, uh, which A, is very, very environmentally unfriendly, but B, can cause earthquakes, all right? And the good news is, uh, you know, parliamentarians uh, were against that and were aghast. Uh, but also the good news is um, that the Labour Party, which is my party, which is the official opposition, uh, now has incredibly good policies in relation to climate change. Um, at my conference, my convention this year, Labour Party, the phrase that we had under Keir Starmer's leadership was a greener, fairer future. That was the strapline under all the speeches and uh, Keir Starmer, uh, our leader, announced a policy uh, of uh, renewable energies, British energy for British uh, people. And that's that, and we are polling very well in relation to the opinion polls. And you know what we're hoping the government does is rather than you know, asking Conservative members to change their leader, uh, but is to have a general election. And we can say to the British public, you've got the choice of a party, the Labour Party, you know, renewable energy, energy efficiency, reducing your bills, renewing your, re reducing your bills, being on your side, supporting the future, or a Conservative Party stuck in the past, fossil fuels, you know, uh, gas, uh, oil, low-paid jobs causing real damage to the environment. And so I'm really hopeful. And if you look around the world, you know, if we were speaking four years ago, it would be President Trump in the USA, now it's President Biden. If we were speaking in relation to Australia, we've now got a Labour Prime Minister there, Progressive. Jacinda Ardern won against in New Zealand. Macron defeated Le Pen in France. Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister in Canada. Progressive leaders bringing around uh, big change. What, one last question. I mean, it seems... Everything seems doable when we're listening to you. When I'm listening to you, it's, it's all this future of, of a greener cities, etc. But then when you are in politics, you have to deal with the problems people are facing right now. So how do you convince the population that it may take some waiting, but in the end it's for the better? I mean, how, how do you handle that space of time between the rush to solve the problems they're facing today, those higher energy bills or you know, lack of gas or to, you know, preserving the, the environment. Look, we, we've, got to, we've got to take people with us. We've got to educate them in a non-patronising way, explain to them the science, explain to them their own experiences. You know, in London, you know, temperatures are 40 degrees Celsius. That's unheard of. Uh, flash flooding, it's unheard of. Um, and so we've got to do two big things. One is to deal with the consequences of climate change, adaptation, resilience, really important, uh, but also deal with the causes of climate change. You know, the... Uh, UN uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that in fact whereas we need to be reducing carbon emissions uh, by 40 to 50 degrees, uh, in fact they're going up across the globe. That's not, 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 just not conducive. And so people need to understand this isn't a tomorrow issue anymore. You know, the scientists in fact were too optimistic. They said the temperatures in London are 40 degrees. We would experience, we took no action in 2035, 2040, happening in 2022. People um, dying because of it too. Got excess yeah. temperatures leads to, uh, you know, increased extreme weather leads to excess deaths. Flash flooding leads to people's homes being flooded, businesses being flooded, uh, you know, a lack of economic productivity. And that's in the global north. Uh, global south is much, much, much uh, worse. And so, you know, we've got, to, we've got to take people with us. The cost of action uh, is less than the cost of inaction. It reduces by investment now people's energy bills. It reduces carbon emissions. In a city like London, it reduces congestion. And so there are upsides to these policies. And the good news is populations in cities are quite progressive. Yeah. Look at Dak, whether it's Dakar North, whether it's London, 
whether it's Los Angeles, uh, whether it's New York, whether it's Barcelona, whether it's Paris, whether it's Rome. And so we've got a responsibility to uh, take people with us, but to show our national governments, to show the rural parts of our country that it is possible to bring about change. Actually, history is littered with examples of you know, good progressive politicians making big, big changes by being bold and being brave. Mayor Khan, thank you so much for talking to Al Jazeera. My pleasure.